I'm your host, John Miller, as always. We're here again to talk about the market. And you might be wondering, hey, everybody trades guy. Haven't seen you making a lot of trades online lately. At least not any that you're posting in your trading blog at everybodytrades.com. Well, here's the deal. I haven't gone lethargic on you. No, far from it. I'm as engaged with the market as I've ever been. But here's the deal. Sometimes you just need to not make any moves. Now, while there's been a plethora of news happening in the last month or so, I haven't really made a move. So you're correct there. How observant of you. Well done. But here's the thing. I'm not a day trader. Even though sometimes I tell people I'm a day trader just to make the conversation move along a little more easily. No, I'm, as I've said many times, I'm a long-term guy. And nothing has changed here. So therefore, that means not forcing it. If there isn't a trade that I'm not completely confident in, I'm not going to force it. Simple as that. Now, sometimes, of course, not forcing it means missing out on an opportunity. I believe I've brought this up before, but two, three, four weeks ago, I brought up that Ulta Beauty, I thought was a great stock, trading at $230. Well, now it's back up to its 52-week high. I may have been a little too conservative there. I may have waited too long to get the perfect price. Who knows? But the point is, I didn't get hurt, did I? So you can't get hurt by something you don't buy. And in my opinion, it's better to miss an opportunity, to miss a potential gain by being disciplined than it is to be reckless and then lose money. See, that should be your number one goal here, right? In investing... We're not trying to leverage all of our money into one decision and try to get rich off of that. No, we're spreading some of our money around, and frankly, we're just trying to beat the bank. That should be our first goal. And if we can beat the market while we're at it, even better. But first of all, we don't want to lose our money. See, that should obviously be the first goal. And from what I've found, the more you worry about the things that are going against you, the more you concentrate on the things that are going against you, the better you do in the long run. The winners tend to take care of themselves. And speaking of that, let's just address the elephant in the room real quick. By far my worst position, if you go to everybodytrades.com, is currently United States Concrete, symbol USCR. And I'm down about 33% at last. I might be, it might be only 30% now after the last couple days because it's gotten a little lift. People are buying material stocks uh, waiting for the hurricane that is about to hit the east coast of the United States. But of course, this particular hurricane is not why I bought U.S. concrete. You see, I bought this position months ago thinking that an infrastructure bill was almost certain, well, I shouldn't say almost certainly. I thought that a U.S. infrastructure bill was coming from the federal government at some point, was likely to happen. And part of that reason is because it's, it's frankly been overdue. 
in 2008, during the entire financial crisis and in its wake, there were several multi-trillion dollar, at least one I can think of off the top of my head was $800 billion. There was a spending bill that was supposed to, as many of you will remember, provide shovel-ready jobs for people who were currently out of work. Well, the reality is, is all of that money went somewhere. It went to people. It went to political cronies for the most part. It went to banks. It went to the politically connected. What it didn't do is it didn't fix a lot of the bridges and the roads and various things that frankly do need to be fixed. So in my mind, I thought, well, you can't put this off forever. And it seemed like Donald Trump and his campaign was talking a lot about doing exactly that fixing our quote crumbling infrastructure even though that was said to have what what was supposed to have happened eight ten years ago with these various bailout plans these infrastructure plans that were supposed to provide stimulus for the economy well clearly that never happened but here was my mistake and now i'm thinking this lift here this temporary lift tomorrow might be the day i just take my medicine and take a loss on u.s concrete now we'll see i will certainly put out a bulletin if i decide to take my medicine and take the loss but the reason i'm thinking about getting out tomorrow is this might be the lift that i'm hoping for in the short term to get a better price because long term i gotta say i've i'm kind of surprised at myself why why would this year be any different? See, the government is so good at kicking the can down the road when it comes to inf- actually maintaining previous infrastructure products. Pro- or, yes, sorry, previous infrastructure projects. On my YouTube page, which you can get to at everybodytrades.com, I have a video entitled Denver Hyperloop Destined for Disappointment. And in that video, I make the point, this exact point, that it's so much more, I hate to use the word sexy when it comes to voting and certainly politicians. Oh, sexy. Good God. No, not sexy, but just appealing. It's a, it's a shiny object that you can present to the voters, the new infrastructure project, like, for example, the Denver Hyperloop and the Hyperloop that is being discussed in the state of California. Well, of course, we've had dam failures in the state of California and various other problems. We have homeless people defecating on the streets of San Francisco. The point is, all of the, as soon as we get this new, big, shiny thing that we can show the voters, which is much less sexy, to use that stupid phrase, than maintaining what you've already built, You're just going to see things like the New York subway system continue to crumble because it's much easier to tell voters, hey, we're just going to put it off as opposed to possibly cutting back on something that is already being spent on by the government or raising taxes. Those are two options that are often not popular with voters. So they just continue to kick the can down the road and guess what? That's somebody else's problem when these politicians are either out of office or dead. So again, I think ultimately my mistake here was actually trusting these people, trusting that, hey, we're going to fix it this time. Listen, we've heard this for years. 
it's sort of like the national debt. Every year, there are people who wring their hands about, oh, the debt's getting bigger and the debt, but they never actually, anybody in Congress actually takes any real steps outside of possibly Ron Paul to actually arrest the debt in any serious way. It actually has any sort of real proposals that have any serious effect on the debt or on government spending in the long term. No, it's always, again, kick the can on down the road. I will say one thing that will be politically popular, though, that could help U.S. concrete, possibly even more than just the short term, is if there is a lot of destruction in any part of America because of these hurricanes, and as I record this early Wednesday evening here, we don't know what's happening. It's still unclear what exactly is going to be the fallout from these, from these hurricanes, if any. Who, who knows what's going to happen? Hopefully, it's nothing. I certainly hope it's nothing. Because even though U.S. Concrete, concrete could get a temporary earnings boost from this, that actually brings me to another point about how people totally misunderstand how wealth is created. See, there are some people, and I will be very kind and call them misguided, who will even go on television and ostensibly as experts and tell you that while this hurricane, this earthquake, this whatever natural disaster it might be, while it might be tough for the people that are experiencing the disaster, in fact, it will, be, it will provide a boost to the economy. Really, a boost. That's a very bizarre way of looking at it when people's homes are literally destroyed, need to be repaired, flooded out, whatever it might be. How could that? It's certainly not a boost to their lives, so how is it a boost to our lives? Well, here's the, the fallacy here. It's actually what's commonly called in economic circles the broken window fallacy. You see, the broken window fallacy states that while, yes, even though you, the person who has the broken window, yeah, that sucked for you, that was a bad outcome for you, the window maker has profited and therefore will take his money and then his profit and then take it and spend it somewhere else and then on down the line and on down the line. Ironically, I would call that sort of a trickle-down effect, but what it really is is Keynesian economic theory, which is actually the antithesis of trickle-down, or at least the people who tout Keynesian economic theory will tell you it's the antithesis of trickle-down. Really, it's exactly that. Because it, has, it creates a constant spending cycle. That's what Keynesian economic theory believes in, is a constant spending cycle is the road to wealth. I believe that a road to wealth is real production. So let's contrast. Instead of a broken window, well, what if the person just built me a new window that I didn't previously have before? See, maybe I just want a large skylight in my house or something. Now, that is wealth building. Now, you might be saying, well, what's the difference? You're just paying the guy money. You no longer have money. Ah, but that's the difference. You see, in this trade, I have a new window. In the previous trade, when you fix my window, I only am back to zero. See, I previously had a window that was then broken, and now I've paid you to get back to my previous window. In the other scenario, I've paid you for a new skylight, a new window. You've received a profit. You've received wealth from me, 
and I have in return received something that I value more. I value the window more than the money that I traded you. You see, that's a win-win. That's where the problem is. You see, that's where the problem of not all transactions are created equal. You see, I could throw away all my money on trying to build a time machine, but if a time machine is scientifically impossible to make and I spend my entire life on building a time machine that never happens, I've clearly squandered all of that wealth. And that is the inherent problem with gross domestic product or GDP calculations. All it does is calculate pure spending on a dollar-for-dollar basis. So therefore, despite the fact that hopefully this doesn't happen, but in theory, thousands, hundreds of people could have their houses their property, their their cars, their everything destroyed or damaged in, in some serious way. And I just want you to understand that just because GDP may go up in a slight way because of spending that costs to rebuild all of these things, that doesn't mean that's a wealth increase. Now, what a wealth increase is, is when new products come to market. When the iPhone came into existence, that was wealth production. When the washing machine came into, an, came into existence, that was wealth production because it, it allowed all of us to do something other than wash our clothes all day. Uber increases our wealth. Those of us who could not afford nor wanted a car now have access to much more quick and reliable transportation than we otherwise did. See, those are the types of things that increase our wealth. It's not simply money swishing back and forth every dice roll like it's a Monopoly game. That's not how things work. Again, I could spend my entire life building a time machine, or I could spend my entire life building Apple Computer and buying products that somebody likes. Now, it's an extreme example, but what about this podcast that I'm doing? I've clearly spent money on a microphone, on a mixer, a computer, various different types of things, and, well, how do I know if that's worth it? Well, time will tell. Dollars and cents will tell. But ultimately, it's going to be up to me, won't it? It will be my subjective values that will say, is it worth it? And, of course, the listeners will decide, too, if I'm worth it, ultimately. Finally, the last thing you should ever do when it comes to this idea of wealth being created by breaking other people's windows is, well, if one window is, shouldn't we just break all the people's windows? Of course, this is absurd on its face, but even even digging deeper, it's absurd. It's even more absurd the further you dig into the fallacial logic of breaking windows and increasing people's wealth. But unfortunately, this idea is not considered absurd in mainstream, in mainstream economics. In fact, you'll see in textbooks that this is how we got out of the Great Depression was by getting into World War II. Well, what's more destructive than war? Bombing people and killing things and hurting things and people. That's insane. We can argue or discuss World War II, its origins, its reasons, it was necessary, it wasn't necessary, yada, yada, yada. Not the point. 
The point is, is anybody who thinks that World War II was a wealth creator is an idiot. But apparently I'm the idiot in this world because I'm disagreed with here. Who's making more sense? Who makes more logical sense? The guy who says blowing things up is economically destructive or the people who say that blowing things up got us out of the Great Depression? Which one of those makes sense on their face? Which one? You tell me. All right, that's all the time I have today on this episode of Everybody Trades. Time to meet the wife for dinner. Take it easy, everybody. Drop off all the VIP the lane. VIP the chain. VIP my squad. Drop off all the game. VIP the lane. VIP the chain.